I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, I hope that you are starting to find yourself in the Christmas spirit as we're approaching this holiday time as December is officially kicked off. Um, our church, like just about every other church in America, had a decision that we had to make uh, because Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday. And so what do you do? Do you have services like normal and do your Christmas Eve services in the morning or do you do your Christmas Eve services at night and don't have services in the morning? Probably most churches are making that instead of trying to pull off doing both, which can be a challenge. And so we're one of those churches that we decided we're going to keep Sunday morning services, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Those are going to be our normal Christmas Eve services. Invite your friends. I was talking uh, to another pastor in town, uh, Pastor Daryl Holden over at Christ Community, and he's like, yeah, we were, we're kind of wrestling through, and there are people who are disappointed we don't have Sunday morning services because they're only doing Sunday night. And so I said, hey, listen, send your people over to our church on Sunday morning. I'll send people over to your church on Sunday night. Who knows? Maybe you'll see me over there. I said, yeah, do that. You know, you send here, I'll send there, as long as you don't, you know, take an offering. So <laughs> I think, I think we have, I think we have an agreement. So, but anyway, as we're entering into Christmas, this is, this is what I want to ask you. What would you change about Christmas? I know we're not supposed to mess with Christmas, but what would, if you could change something, what would you change? No, no more gifts. Yeah, my budget would appreciate that. Maybe, maybe you decorate more. Maybe you decorate less. Or maybe you're married and you're like, I just want my spouse to agree with how much I want to decorate or not decorate. Maybe you change that awkward moment where someone comes and they bring you this beautifully wrapped gift and you're like, oh, I didn't get you anything. Let me show, can I show you what I would change? I want to show you with a picture. Here's a picture of my son. A number of years ago with a couple of his cousins. I, I'm going to tell you something. This is what I want to change. And I'm being ridiculous. I'm being dumb. I'm being absurd. I wish that kids came with a feature you can make them little for just like one day again. I just wish that because I love this. I mean, th this, this season of life, I love now, but this season of life was precious. There's a lot of cuddles that happened then. You reach a point where it gets weird. You can't do that anymore. When he's 17, bigger than you, he's got whiskers. You don't cuddle anymore. <laughs> but there's this, listen, I love, I, love, I love each stage of parenting, but there's this version of Christmas that I sometimes just miss, right? And I, listen, I want to give you permission to be just as absurd as I'm being. I don't know what it is for you, what you would change, but I bet you've got something that my guy back there does, that I bet you got something you would change too. I feel like I have, maybe you do too, I feel like I've got this vault of just cherished memories that I don't want to just remember. I want to relive them over again. And that kind of comes up, bubbles to the surface at the holiday time. And that's the merry and bright side of Christmas. But there's a flip side to that coin, isn't there? There can be things about Christmas that remind us of things that we wish that we don't, we wish that we didn't remember. Not only do we not want to remember them, do we not, we don't want to live through them. We, we wish we could permanently change them. And Christmas can remind us of problems we can't solve. And it's not my intent to be a downer today, but if you guys know me, you know, I, I like just to keep it real. I, I want to be authentic. And I bet that there are some things in your life for some of us, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, that there might be stressors in your life right now. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how responsible you are. You're just not going to be able to solve it by December 25th. 
I'm curious, how many of you have stuff in your life right now? You're like, this is, I'm just beyond my control. I can't control this. Anybody? Anybody else? A couple of us? All right, hands down. So next question, how many of you are kind of like me? You know you can't control it, but you try anyway. What is wrong with us? Like, why are we such suckers for that? Christmas reminds us of problems we can't solve and people we can't control. Wouldn't it be nice if there were some people in your life that came with a remote control? Like, if some people came with a mute button, that'd be awesome. Maybe a friend, maybe that awkward uncle, maybe your pastor, I don't know. But it would be nice, it would be nice if we could control people. Now hear me, this is real life stuff. Are you ready? We are vulnerable. We are most vulnerable to wanting to try and control people. We're most vulnerable for falling for the delusion of control when we see a person as standing in the way of our expectations. That's the last one. Christmas reminds us that there are expectations we can't meet. And for some of you, maybe, maybe for some of us, it's, I can't afford the Christmas this year that I could afford last year. And maybe you, sometimes you just find yourself feeling like, even all the good stuff, I, I just don't feel like I can meet all the demands and the expectations that come with the holiday season. Like, how do you figure it out? Who, uh, family stuff, like who gets Thanksgiving? Who gets Christmas Eve? Who gets Christmas Day? How do you get all the places you're supposed to go? And who's on the buy for list? And who's on the don't buy for list? And we don't want to disappoint anybody, do we? But there's this, if you feel this, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. If you feel this, there's this thing at the holiday time. We want everything to be perfect, but not everything is perfect. Just about every holiday movie you're going to watch, every Christmas movie you're going to watch this month, it has these three elements somehow woven into the plot. There's something about the holidays that causes these realizations to bubble up to the, to the surface. And what Christmas comedies, whichever one you're watching, it'll use these kinds of things as a context and a backdrop for laughs and comedy. But when it's your life and it's my life, it's not funny. And there's a word There's a word picture that's used all throughout Scripture to kind of capture this, to describe what it is we're trying to talk about. And the word picture that pops up all over the Bible for this is the word darkness. It's the realization this world isn't quite right. And that's like the super big stuff, stuff like wars and major injustices. But it's also the really immediate stuff, like unexpected, unpayable bills. It's the immediate stuff, like the loss of a loved one. But not only is this about how the world isn't quite right, it's also about how I'm not quite right. And yeah, it includes the reality where areas in my life I know, I know, I'm morally in the wrong. But it also includes those realities when my stress, my anxiety, whatever, just kind of like hijacks my brain and takes over. How are we supposed to summarize? We know the world isn't quite right. We know that I'm not quite right. But the word that biblical writers use to capture that is darkness. We know this isn't just like a church person thing. This isn't just a religious person thing. This is an everybody thing. Like I said, whether you're watching, you know, uh, National Lampoons or The Grinch or Elf or whatever, you're going to find these things, that, these elements that we're talking about in any Christmas movie. And it seems like every Christmas movie that comes up with the same empty remedy, the same fake solution, 
And it's used Christmas as a time to escape. Christmas is a time that we take a break from that. It's as though we use our festivities and holiday cheer and all the kind of cliched routines as a thin veneer to cover it up. And if there's something in you that is hoping, if there's, a ten, if there's just something in you, you're, you're hoping that you could just use this holiday season as to take a break from the darkness or for some unpleasant things in your life, can I suggest to you that maybe you're approaching and thinking about Christmas as though it is something much too small? Christmas is not a time to pretend that everything is merry and bright. Christmas isn't an escape. It's an invasion. And I don't expect that to make sense yet. But at the end of these next few minutes, and hopefully by the time we make it to our Christmas Eve services, that this will become more clear and the light will come on for you. And today, not just today, but for what we're going to focus on over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, I want to begin this time of focus together and a passage that we probably don't associate with Christmas. I want to invite you to, to grab a Bible and open up to Genesis chapter 1. You can use your own Bible. If you want to use the phone, do that. Um, if you don't have a Bible, take one from the seat back pocket in front of you. If you don't have one, you can take that home with us, with you as our gift to you. The Bible is broken up into two sections. The first section is the Old Testament. That's everything before Jesus. The second half begins with the birth of Jesus and everything forward from that. That's called the New Testament. So we're going we're gonna to focus on the Old Testament really a lot today. Um, we're going to start, if you're still kind of figuring out how the Bible is laid out, Genesis 1 is easy to find. It's page 1. This is where it all begins. I'm going to read it out loud. I want you to follow along with me, and I might even call on you to like read out a word as I like when you guys participate. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be what? Light. light. Oh, you guys came ready. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. God, I don't know if you know this, God loves bringing light to the darkness. I think he gets the biggest kick out of it. I think he gets a kick out of bringing light to the, to the darkness. And you've heard us talk about this before, that a great way to kind of think about what the Bible is, it is a grand, unified, true story of what God is doing in the world with people. And today, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at a theme that shows up over and over again from beginning to the end, a theme that includes the metaphors of light and darkness. And I'm curious, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed how the story of God with people begins. We learn something about God. We learn what he's like and what he likes. One of the very first things that God ever does in the world is to bring light to darkness. And God has masterfully, intentionally woven this theme in of light invading the darkness. It is a huge part of his story with people. And not only is it just is it a reality that we experience today, we're going to see it in Scripture and we're going to see how it can change our stories. Right here in Genesis, we see light introduced literally. But as God's story with people progresses, light is also used as a metaphor, and sometimes it's used to represent God himself. And early on in God's story with people, he picked an unlikely group of people 
to use to help communicate his story to all the rest of us. And that unlikely group of people that he picked are the Israelites, the, the Jewish people, incredibly important. Ever wonder why, why does Israel, why do Jewish people have such uncommon influence in the world? God picked them. And sometimes God communicated and demonstrated that he was with them literally through light. And then sometimes God wanted to use them as leaders, as an example, to be metaphorical light. We're going to jump ahead from Genesis to the second book in the Bible. And the second book in the Bible is called Exodus. And the reason that it's called Exodus is because the big event, the key event, are the people of Israel exiting Egypt. They had been, for generations, they had been slaves in Egypt, and now God has given them freedom, and they are wandering through the desert for a very long time on their way to their own land to be their own country. And if you aren't familiar, if you, if you, if you need some refresher, I want to encourage you to read Exodus. If you want to kind of subsidize that, watch the old classic Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. If you got kiddos, watch uh, The Prince of Egypt, the animated movie, or go to the Bible Project website and check out some of their resources. But this is a key event. This is a key moment in God's story with people, and we need to understand it. And how are these Israelites, how are, how are the Jewish people supposed to know? Is they're just kind of like wandering through the desert that God was with them and they were on the right path. In Exodus 13, we read this. After leaving Sukkot, I highlighted this because I want you to remember this word. If you're a note-taker, write it down. If you're just good at remembering things, just remember it. Remember Sukkot. We'll come to it later. After leaving Sukkot, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, when it's dark, a pillar of fire to give them what? Light. So that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. In the Old Testament, we see this. There were times that God proved and demonstrated that he was with his people, literally, in the presence of fire and light. And the chaotic confusion and the clamor that it must have felt like of leaving one country, wandering through the desert, on their way to another one, that they don't really know what to expect. The literal manifestation of light, God being with them, proved, I am with you, I am for you, and I'm guiding you. And this imagery of light in the darkness is incredibly important. And as God's story with people progresses, those word pictures take center stage. And as we continue to read through God's word, darkness comes to represent this. It represents not trusting and not following God's leadership. It comes with not aligning ourselves with him. Because walking with him, following him, is being in the light. Going our own way is walking in the darkness. And darkness also represents not just the sin of that, but the consequences and the circumstances that settle in us and around us when we don't follow the God who would be with us and who loves us, who wants to lead us. 
There are many, many, many passages that we could read together that continue to use this theme to show how it's threaded all throughout God's Word. We're going to turn to the prophet Isaiah. A prophet is someone whose job is to deliver God's message to people. We're going to read a section from Isaiah. This is taken right out of the middle of a much larger sermon where Isaiah is preaching about the reality. Guys, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We have not been following God. We're walking in the dark. We haven't been trusting Him. And as he talks about this and he gives the message of the reality of their sin and also a message of hope, I want you to listen for and watch for how light and darkness show up. Isaiah says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. In the past, when we sin, God would do things, change our circumstances, respond in such a way that force humility on us. But... In the future, God's going to do something different. In the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. Beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great what? Light. light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And what was Isaiah saying? Isaiah was saying, guys, we've got to be honest. Right now, we are walking in gloom and distress. We are like people Walking in darkness because we have not trusted and we have not followed the God who loves us and who would be with us and who is for us. But his message didn't end there. He longed for the day and he looked forward to a day that the light would come. That God's goodness, his truth, his beauty, his healing would come flooding in, would come invading in the land shrouded in darkness in their very lives that were in darkness. And Isaiah's message is we might be in darkness now because of our own sin, but the good news is that light is coming, but it's not here yet. In the Old Testament, the first part of God's Word, the Old Testament ends like a candle being blown out. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It is the last expression of God's word, him speaking to people until Jesus comes. And Jesus came 400 years after that. And that 400 years of no message, no word from God is called the silent years. Could you imagine how dark that must have felt? The gloom, the, the, set, the, the darkness that must have set in as they're just waiting, as Israel is waiting, the world is waiting for God to speak again, for God to move again, for God to keep his promise that one day light is going to come. This is an honesty moment. Have you ever felt like God just left the room? Have you ever felt like you were just kind of left sitting in darkness? Or you think about it. Think about that. Imagine sitting in that for 400 years. Like, have you ever tried to sell a house and your house just isn't selling? How long do you sit in that uncertainty? Do you feel like this is too much darkness? I can't sit in this any longer. Is someone precious in your life, whether a spouse or dear friend, a child, a neighbor, I don't know, but someone important to you and there's friction in that relationship and peace and resolution is not settling in, how long can you just sit in that tomb where you're like, I can't take this anymore? Have you ever sat in the darkness of waiting for medical test results to come in? How long are you able to sit waiting before the word comes? Have you ever found yourself praying for something over and over and over again for years? And you don't know if it's ever going to become a reality. How long can you sit in that? 
The people of Israel, the people of the world waited 400 years for God to speak, for God to move, for God to keep his promise. And it must have felt like it was only getting darker until one night outside of Jerusalem in a small village in the backwoods region of Galilee in gritty and humble circumstances, a baby was born. And the circumstances were so gritty and so humble that his very first crib was a trough used to feed animals. And into that darkness, the light had come. And some people got a glimpse of it, but it wouldn't be for approximately 30 years, maybe about 33 years before people really understood. And before I think we can understand exactly what that means, we got to go back and look at something. Do you remember that word that I asked you to hold on to? Do you guys remember what it was? Suko. Love the energy, man. You came hard. You came so hard. <laughs> this is online for everyone. Your mom can see, everybody can see it. <laughs> the word is Sukkot. For the people of Israel, for the Jewish people, that reality that their ancestors had been in the desert. And the God had showed up as a pillar of light and fire. That real historical event became a celebration. It became a holiday. It became a festival called the Festival of Sukkot. And it was a big deal. And, some of the, and it shows up. Uh, it's observed every autumn. Sometimes, depending on the calendar falls, it could fall late September. It could, it could be in October. And typically, the way that it's celebrated is... Jewish people would put up tents, maybe some like some ramshackled little huts, and they'll live outside in those tents or huts for eight days as a way to remember our ancestors were in the desert. They were in the wilderness, and God showed up in that period of darkness, and he brought light. And so there's dancing, there's twirling of torches. There used to be this five to seven foot tall menorah at the temple in Jerusalem, and people would light that. It was just this big amazing display. It was huge in both scale and significance. A big deal. A major, major holiday and celebration. And the festival of Sukkot is what is going on. It's in the middle of this eight-day celebration. All of that is going on. It's a big deal. Everybody's attention is all about that. When Jesus stood up in the middle of that and did something so provocative, unexpected, maybe even scandalous to some, but so profound that people are still talking about it today. you got to understand, that's the backdrop. When Jesus stood up and he said these words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I bet you've heard that before. I'm the light of the world. Maybe you've memorized that. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've heard it read to you a thousand times. But maybe understanding this festival that's going on, you're beginning, it's like dawning on you, wow, that was pretty bold of Jesus to say that. Like imagine standing up at a four, major 4th of July celebration and be like, this is all about me. <laughs> Jesus stopped the party. And he stood up and he said, guys, you remember that time with our ancestors were wandering through the desert and God showed up as a pillar of fire? That was me. You remember how God promised that light would come? Gloom and distress are over. The light is here and I am it. That was Jesus' promise. For the darkness that you were in and the darkness that's in you, I am the light. If you would trust me, if you would follow me, you will have the light of life. And when you set 
lights in your Christmas tree and you decorate your house and you drive through your neighborhood and you see all those lights, it all harkens back. It's all intended. It all started with remembering what Jesus said, that he's the light. And it even harkens back to this incredible festival is remembering that light means that God is there. And in the glitz and the glam and the festivities and all the stuff that happens at Christmas, it's easy to forget what it's supposed to communicate to us. And the light is supposed to communicate this. It's a metaphor that means God is with us and God is for us. And this is rich and this is deep and there's a lot to draw out of that. And we're going to be exploring that together over the next several weeks. But this is what I want you to remember. Whatever the circumstances are in your life, whatever you're experiencing Christmas isn't an escape. It is an invasion. It is an intrusion of God's light and joy and love and peace and hope and healing into your world. And it is my hope for you that this metaphor of light moves from simply being a metaphor to a real experience for you. And I know that in a room like this, that there are many of us, we could tell stories of how I was in the darkness and I trusted Jesus and he kept his promise and he brought the light to me. I know what it's like to have the light of life to no longer walk in darkness because of what Jesus has done. But I also know in a room this size and with people joining us online, that there are a lot of people say, Rick, that sounds like some really nice sounding words. But how does that go from nice-sounding words in a neat and tidy church service to meeting me in the grittiness and the messiness of my real life? Well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. I'm the guy who's supposed to be here talking about it and explaining it and teaching it to you. But I don't know that I can. Because there's something about it that defies explanation. All I know is this. If we trust Jesus... If we just say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, we don't make it happen. We don't manufacture it. We don't produce it. He keeps his promise and he brings the light to us. And for those of us who've experienced that, those of us who know that, we got to tell our story. We got to tell our stories of that so other people can see it, so they can know that if they would trust Jesus, they would experience for themselves. And you might be saying, Rick, but I feel like I'm in the darkness. I'm like, I know. I've lived that too. I know what it's like to walk in darkness so long, you start to get comfortable in it. Does anybody else know what that's like? And if I'm going to tell you the unedited version of my story, not only do I know what it's like to walk in darkness so long that I get comfortable in it, I start to prefer it. And I'm not just talking about some version of my life before I became a good Christian. I'm talking about after I'm a follower of Christ. I'm talking about, that's true of me even as a pastor. A lot of you guys have heard me talk in really kind of general terms about my dad was in prison for over a decade. And during my 30s, I thought, I'm never going to have a relationship with my dad again. It just wasn't possible for us to really see each other. It was just broken. That's what prison does to people and to families. But that really wasn't the biggest problem. You know what my big problem was? Is I had a belly full of unforgiveness. And that came with a side of bitterness and inflamed insecurity. And it was probably about just over five years ago. I had a really weird day. Awkward, weird day. Because of an administration error... My mom and I thought that my dad had died in prison. 
And when you've been carrying all that junk and the person on the other side of the relationship equation, you think they're dead, it like gets in your face and you realize what I've been pretending isn't there is there now and I got to deal with it. Well, like I said, it was an administration error. And later that day, we found out that my dad had actually been released from prison on parole. And he was now in a nursing home for men on parole who had serious health conditions. And that was where he would spend the rest of his life. Now, that news came with the realization, my dad is now in a place that's easy for me to get to, and I just happen to be going to that same place that he's in in a little over a month. Does that sound like good news? Well, you've forgotten the fact I've been really comfortable with the darkness. But the truth is, I was a mess. And I was getting tired of the darkness in me. And I was getting tired of what it was doing for me, and I knew I had to do something. So I changed my plans so that I could go see my dad. I made a couple of counseling sessions with a therapist, a godly man who I knew could kind of help me face what I was carrying. And I enlisted some people in my church to start praying for me, some dear friends. And so they're praying hard for me. And the day came. And I made it to the nursing home where my dad was. And we're sitting in a room together across the table, eye to eye. What do you think that was like? It was horrible. It was the worst. I hated it. He was defensive. I was defensive. It was tense. His guard was up. My guard was up. There's nothing about it that I liked whatsoever. Ever been in a conversation like that? You're like, how do I get out of this? But I stuck it out. And you're thinking, well, it's probably because you're a good Christian. No. No, it's because there are people praying for me, and I didn't know how to face them and tell them that I chickened out. (laughs) But I'm a pastor, so I'm at least supposed to pretend to try. And so I sit in there. And you've probably done this too. You're in the middle of something. I was sitting, I was sitting in the middle of my own darkness. And I'm just like, Jesus, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. And something happened that I'll never know how to explain. I'll never know. It was like the light came on. It was as if Jesus reached his hand in my chest and just started to pull out the sadness, the years of missed expectations, the hurt and the anger. I don't know how to explain it. All I know is that all of a sudden I found myself saying this out loud. Dad, I didn't come to fight you. I don't want anything from you. I just want you to know that I love you. (laughs) My dad began to weep and I began to cry. I saw death turn into life. The light invaded my darkness. This is a picture of me and my dad that day. He died a couple of years ago from cancer, but for the rest of that time, we had a great relationship. We actually talked on the phone each week more than I do with my mom. Don't tell her. (laughs) but this is what I want to share I'm not sharing this because if you do the right Christian things whatever broken relationships God's going to fix that's not the promise that's not the thing that even I celebrate the most although I am deeply grateful to God for that if you pay attention to my story I'm a hypocrite I'm 
awkwardly, half-heartedly trying to follow and obey Jesus, and he kept his promise anyway in my life. And it's not so much the broken relationship, but it was the yuck, it was the bitterness, it was the unforgiveness in me that I didn't know how to get rid of. And Jesus kept his promise of bringing the light to that and freeing me from the prison of my own darkness. And whatever it is you're in, whatever it is you're walking through, if you would trust him too, you will know that too. I want to share with you that Jesus meant what he said. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want you to know it. I want you to experience it. I want you to receive it. For those of us in the room, and you've been here, maybe a friend brought you, maybe something's going on in your life, and you know the world isn't quite right, you know you're not quite right, and you've been trying to figure out this Jesus thing. I'm asking, could today be the day that you stop resisting and you just drop it and you say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give you my life because if you really are going to keep the promise of bringing light to my life, I want that, and I'm going to trust you and follow you in that. Today, I give my life to you. But what I'm talking about is not just for people who don't yet know Jesus. It's also for those of us, too, who are longtime followers of Jesus. Because there might be areas of our life where we've been holding on, and maybe we haven't wanted to trust, and we've been too scared to follow, and we've been clinging on to our own darkness. And today could be the day where we can open up our hands and say, Jesus, with this area of my life, I'm just going to lay it to you. I'm going to lay it, lay it down at your feet. And I'm not, I know that I can't perfectly obey you and perfectly follow you, but I know it's not about that. I'm trusting you that you would keep your promise to bring light to my life as well. The easiest thing in the world, the easiest thing in the world during the holiday season is to get caught up in routine and forget about what all this light is pointing back to, is that he is in the light. He is the light. And if we just trust him, he keeps his promise to bring the light of life to us. And so my invitation to you this Christmas is don't just remember the light of the world. Receive the light in your world.